Thank you for joining us. This is Making It in Asheville. Each week we sit down with another Asheville artist, entrepreneur, creative maker. We ask them what they're making and how they are making it in Asheville. And we are your host. This is Tony. And I'm Sarah. And that's Sarah. Uh, and this week we are joined by Emily Copus, the founder of Carolina Flowers and Sadie's Market. Emily, how are you today? I'm doing great. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are, Sarah has spent the last, uh, when did you see on Saturday? you went. I, to? I went out to Zadie's Market for the first time on Saturday. Yes. And it's been nonstop. All she's been talking about is I can't wait for this interview. So we'll let you please introduce yourself, say hello, and then uh, it'll be a nonstop barrage of questions for the next hour or so. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I'm Emily, and uh, we have two companies, soon to be three, out here. They're, we're based in Marshall, but most of our work takes place in Asheville or the greater Asheville area. Um, so both companies are delivery-based companies, Carolina Flowers. Um, we grow, arrange, and sell flowers direct to the consumer um, via mostly via our website, but also um, we have you know, custom services for weddings and things like that. Wow. Um, and then Zadie's Market is an online grocery store um, and delivery business focused on local uh, farm fresh food and uh, locally made products from around the area. Um, and we're working to open our first brick and mortar, which will include a grocery market and a deli and a bar. Um, and that should be coming up in early 2021 with a small hotel upstairs um, oh. in our building, the old Marshall Jail. I, I, maybe I didn't tell you about the hotel. I, I don't know, but oh my goodness, that sounds like a pretty light. Mention the hotel. <laughs> wow, um, that sounds like a lot, and that sounds so exciting. And I think I, I, I have a question about that. One of the very first things you said which has to do with the flower business. So maybe we start there for a second. But uh, a word that I think is surprising when people say that they sell flowers is that you grow the flowers. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell us more about that. I mean, it, it, I just assumed, you know, we lived in New York for a while. There were flowers on every corner. I assume that there's some sort of like international giant warehouse of flowers and they come in on shipping containers from Netherlands or something. I, I, I don't know how well, they right? do that. They, that does happen. Okay. Um, but that's not what happens here. Wow. Uh, fortunately. Um, so flowers are a, a fresh, highly perishable product. Um, and it is amazing to me that in the United States, we actually import 80% of the flowers that are sold here. Whoa. It's one of those uh, statistics that feels very unnatural. Um, when you think about how much work and resources go into moving flowers from South America and Holland and South Africa and Australia and uh, domestically from California, um, which is less, uh, less egregious. But still, I mean, compared to the amount of imports, you know, um, California is just a, a tiny little piece. Um, so you're not wrong about that. Um, most most flower shops do use imported flowers primarily, um, but we are not that. We uh. are 
uh, our own supplier for the majority of the flowers that we sell. Not everything. We do work occasionally with imports when we have to, if a client requests it. And, um, and our educational techniques um, don't produce our most preferred outcome. Um, we do work with imported flowers. Um, but we are really trying to move the needle on uh, locally grown flowers. Amazing. And t- take us back to, because you weren't always a, a florist or a flower farmer. Um, what did you do before that? And what was sort of the defining moment that led you into the flower business? Yeah, so I, um, you know, a lot of times when you talk to a flower farmer, the story starts with, I've loved flowers and plants since I was a little girl which is true, but I actually, I don't think that that is very interesting. Um, I think that most human beings are wired to love um, plants and flowers. In fact, uh, it's a part of what it means to be a human, to love plants and flowers. You don't make it very far in the natural world if you're not really into plants because you starve to death. So um, (laughs) most people deep down um, have like a very uh, natural, um, love of, of flowers and plants. And so I do too, um, for sure. But uh, my original career was in journalism, um, which I started doing when I was 19 um, for an alt weekly and um, worked my way up from there. So by the time I finished in journalism, I was um, a local government reporter for the Asheville Citizen Times and um, I covered the 2016 election and um, the beginning of the sort of corruption cases uh, coming out of Buncombe County government. And um, I think that, um, you know, I knew that uh, journalism had served its purpose for my life. And um, I think the election cycle really showed me that. Um, if, if the career was not serving me, it was certainly not serving any sort of larger purpose um, in, in the world. I really love local journalism and I support local journalism, but I think, unfortunately, um, the system is so broken um, that participating uh, in that system sort of seemed like uh, uh, more harm than good to me at a certain sure, point. Sure, yeah. Um, but kudos to the people who carry on. It's a personal choice. I don't want to make it sound like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Everyone should throw in the towel that I don't know if that works either, but, um, it yeah. actually, it was very, it shaped a lot of my thinking about business and economics, um, sort of watching that industry from the inside, um, just utterly tank over and over yeah. <laughs> in so many different ways. Um, it just really is fascinating how messed up it is. <laughs> uh, perfect example of what not to do. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Journalism yeah. at large. Well, not journalism at large. I should say uh, daily newspapers, especially ones that are that are owned by large um, news groups like uh, Gannett, um, which is what owns the Asheville Citizen Times. Um, uh, you know, I think that. Um, there is still 
lots of good journalism happening in the world. I think radio and podcasts are, are sort of the bright spot. Um, but uh, the institutional issues with um, print media, uh, mass market print media and, and television are just really yeah. appalling and not, yeah. and not again, not that, not to, not to detract from like, I don't want to get all caught up in this whole, like, yeah. no, no, media thing. I like, mean, I, I think, actually, no, no. I think that you can't trust the media, but yeah. well, and I think now we're seeing, uh, I think this year is a really great example of of that and i don't want to get into all of that because that's not what this, right, we could do this the whole podcast, podcast is about but we should not do that. yeah yeah for sure well so okay so you realized that um journalism media was no longer for you D- did you do something else before you got into the like how did you make that transition into the yeah, it seems like a big transition yeah yeah, so I saw it coming from pretty far away. Um, the understanding that I was going to kind of outgrow that career path, um, and it's sort of strange because you know I was in my twenties; like it happened really quickly. And I think in a lot of people's minds, how can someone so young outgrow a career path that is so desirable to so many people, you know, seemingly. Um, but I did. And, and I could tell, I mean, I could tell it wasn't right for me. I think, I think that the way we train people to pick careers in our culture is, is not great. Like I think for me, I had to start over and say, how do you physically like to spend time? You know, like, what do you want to do with your body all day long? You know, like on the most elemental level of like, who are you? Like, what, like, do you like sitting or not? You know? So yeah. if it were up to me, like college career counseling, like this is what I would do. I'd be like, all right, kids, I'm locking you in eight hours. You can come out for two bathroom breaks and, and like one 30 minute lunch break that you have to clock out for. And that's like, you know, here's the computer. Let's see how you feel at the end of a week. You know, I love um, it. <laughs> like, we're going to give you a phone and it's going to ring a lot, but like, only when you're only when you're actually focused and then someone is going to ask you a question that annoys you like that and that's what we're going to do um and this is college counseling uh because i really think that uh we don't really ask people you know to think about how they enjoy being in the world and so for me you know obviously um i like spending time outside but it's more than that i like having a lot of variety um I currently have so much variety in my in my life that I'm having to kind of reel it back in a little bit. <laughs> um, but uh, but I really like changing tasks frequently. Um, I really like thinking about big picture um, ideas and creating new ideas and um, and uh, seeing lots of different people during the day and talking to lots of different people. And so all of those things are super elemental, but. Um, and they seem really obvious, but when you're actually in it, it takes so long to just say, like, let's reduce who you are to, like, the most basic fundamental parts and then put them back together. So that's sort of what I did um, with uh, to arrive where I arrived. And actually, it was very um, – when I finally asked the right questions – um, the answer was very obvious. Um, and it's interesting because the same process kind of happened with Sadie's where once you, once you ask the right questions, um, you know, your brain will kind of like spit out the answer, um, in rapid fire. So the flower farm, I mean, took me over a year to kind of get to, 
to understanding what what the business was that I wanted to start. Sadie's, you know, it took 36 hours. Um, wow. So um, you get better at it, <laughs> I guess. Um, and so anyway, I ultimately, I read all these books. Um, my favorite one is called How to Find Fulfilling Work. It's a mm-hmm. British book. It's part of like a how-to series that's really um, like sort of quirky in a British way. I don't know, but it's written by, it's, they, uh, they've commissioned philosophers from all over the world to write these. Um, so it's sort of like contemporary philosophy light, which sounds really heady, but it's not, it was a fun book to read. Um, and it has the scene from Anna Karenina in it, which happens to be probably my favorite novel story, not just novel story. Um, where Levin, who is, I guess, the protagonist of Anna Karenina, is um, threshing wheat with the peasants. Um, he's like a lord kind of guy, except he's Russian, so I don't know what that is. But anyway, he's like a <laughs> Russian lord. Um, and so, and he goes away from his estate to like spend time in the fields and get to know like how the peasants function or whatever. So it's, um, I don't know, it's really like... 19th century vibes but yeah, still yeah. Uh, it's beautiful it's a beautiful scene it's a beautiful piece of writing and the how to find fulfilling work book um kind of riffs off that piece of writing and so it just resonated with me um and while I was going through this whole like what am I going to do with my life kind of thing I was spending all of my time gardening <laughs> uh, <laughs> which okay. did, yeah which I did not notice yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know I was just like doing my hobby or whatever um, and then the moment that I realized that that was a job, it like hit me in the face, like a ton of bricks kind of thing, because my grandfather actually grew up on our family's flower farm and my great, great grandfather and great grandfather were professional flower farmers. And so, huh. um, I don't know why it took me so long to see like if, of, of any person in this world, it should have occurred to me that that was a thing that I could do. Um, but flower farming really is in a, in a renaissance right now in the United States. And so, um, you know, I think it probably also took some research and like, not research, uh, that sounds fancy, uh, exposure to that, um, sort of coming together at the same time to really, uh, show me that it was, that it was worth doing um yeah yeah so okay so like I don't know like I'm imagining you're in your garden and like you're suddenly like oh my gosh I can I can I can do this as a business or something to that effect yeah but like exactly it was exactly like that I've been working all day I drove out to Marshall um which is where I was gardening I was still living in Asheville at that point drove all the way out here and it started raining while I was working and I was moving soil all around which is a terrible thing to do in the rain um, but I was so happy. And, uh, and I think that that's what, you know, doing something terrible and still being happy is, I think, part of what made me realize it was a great fit. And so what, what was the, what were your next steps in, in actually opening a business and, and making it something where you can make money from? Because um, it seems, and I'll just, I'll pop in because it seems like, you know, a, a service business or a let me buy commodities and have them in a market and have people show up. Like, hypothetically, those happen faster. The second you have the idea, you could theoretically start. But I imagine it takes a while to grow a flower. Like, I don't know how long a flower takes to grow, but I, I can't imagine it's a overly quick process to go from 
or to I set ha- up a, a plot yeah like a business yeah. yeah like mm-hmm. I, so to go from oh this is a thing that gives me so much joy that even when it's raining i'm so happy and fulfilled to <laughs> let me also put food on a table or pay my bills or whatever the basis is for start a business uh i'm very excited to know what the next steps are just for well yeah and i mean i, I think there's a little more backstory than that first yeah. of all i was I was ready to start a business and I had had all these ideas. I had like, my family still makes fun of me because there's this massive list. I was going to do like, like I had this whole thing about shoe repair for a while because nobody does it anymore. But it turns out there's a reason why I had this whole thing about um, serving pancakes on the street, which is like, that's like a Portlandia episode. It's a terrible (laughs) idea. Like I was like, Oh, people do crepes. Like why not pancakes? Because you can't eat pancakes with your hands, Emily. Like, well, speak for yourself. <laughs> you know, terrible street food. Um, I went, I thought about um, starting the uh, refrigerator repair company. <laughs> um, because uh, electricians make a lot of money and there's like high demand for refrigerator repair services in Asheville, which is true. True. There is. Someone should do that. Nationally, <laughs> there's there's a business oh. like a hundred million dollar business that just does uh, electronics repairs and match. It's like the Uber for uh, home appliance electronic repairs. I oh, think really? that that's a great like, idea. I love your mind. Level, you like hanging around restaurants, fix refrigerators, like. <laughs> Boom. You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I didn't do it because I sat in on an uh, electrical uh, certificate class at AB Tech. I went and like did it. And I just I was I was like, I can't go back to school. Like, I already have a master's degree in something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. Um, so although now I'm like, I'm going back to school for horticulture. I'm getting an MBA. Like I have all these things. That I, I don't know. Anyway, um, but at that time, going back to school was not the right choice for me. I thought about it. I shadowed the classes. Um, but uh, yeah, not going to happen. So I was ready, though, to start the business. I think I don't know if I had already signed up for a small business class at Mountain BizWorks. But if I hadn't already signed up, I like had the information in my folder kind of thing. I don't have folders. It's actually one of the worst things about me. But um, I, I, like, I don't know, bookmarked on my computer or whatever. Um, so I was ready to start a business. And, um, my husband and I had been together for about a year at that point. And, um, he and I have very different entrepreneurial attitudes, but he was an independent, um, is an independent, um, artist, uh, who makes 100% of his livelihood from being an artist and now a real estate developer. <laughs> I don't know where the line between those two things is. Wow. Um, but uh, so anyway, seeing him do it was really inspiring um, for a lot of different reasons. And then um, Josh is also my business partner in Sadie's, I should mention. Um, and then uh, and then a whole bunch, of, a whole bunch of stuff just happened that year. I don't know. It was 2016. We bought a house, we moved to Marshall, we bought a jail, which is the building that we're renovating into Davies. Um, so we started nice. a farm, we leased farm property, we like built a barn. I don't know, like 2016 was just a, a really good year for us where we started all of these things that now almost five years later um, are maturing in major ways. Um, so I don't know. Well, I mean, where where did you did you quit your job and then just like 
go full steam ahead at this or were you still kind of working on the side while you're like planning all of this like do you remember uh, that process of of getting nope, there I jumped right in I did a lot of night farming I probably did a lot of time theft if we're being really honest about it um in terms of like you know reading about plants on the clock kind of thing um uh because I spend a lot of time thinking about how, um, I don't know, how uh, there are various points in a business where you have to figure out how to make something from nothing. Um, and, and, we, and you go through these cycles where we're actually kind of in one at the moment where you have to like add up all your resources and then say to yourself, all right, these things don't add up. So you're going to have to find something else to get it, to get it from whatever it is you're trying to get. And so starting a business is like that. I mean, you, if you want to do it quickly anyway, I mean, you have to figure out how to get more time or more money or more resources, whatever you have to like magic up something. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm not proud of my, my time theft. Actually, it wasn't one of the reasons why I, I can't tell you the story. Never mind. (laughs) (laughs) So, I'm left, but it, it implicates a lot of other people at much higher levels than me. Like so, condoning this, I will say this time theft was condoned by management in in like a very explicit way, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> this episode of Making It in Asheville is brought to you by Van Winkle Law Firm, one of the largest and most well-established firm serving North Carolina residents and businesses since 1907. It's a long time ago. As a full-service law firm, Van Winkle can help you and your business navigate almost every legal matter out there. So whether you're an emerging business that needs help just drawing up some contracts, or you're a mature company looking for expertise in employment law, the folks at Van Winkle Law can grow with you and your company. As a listener of Making It in Nashville podcast, you'll get to enjoy your first business law consultation 100% for free. Visit thewlawfirm.com for more information. Again, that's thewlawfirm.com and let them know that Making It in Nashville sent you. I love like I love a number of things that have happened in as you tell the story of testing the water, right? I think that I'll, I, if, if I'm talking in... Um, the abstract sense and like people at large have ideas for concepts of businesses or think that they have this incredible idea and typically will just like tell a friend or hold it in their heart. And I love that you went and sat in on an AB tech course to attempt to validate a business model that you had or or an assumption that you had about a business model. I would call that something like a superpower. I don't think most people go beyond the first step. And um, I think people who do typically will go past the first step into the second and the third, and there's like a, just a high success rate. So once you went into this first step of uh, the economics, I'll assume, of a floral business or f- flower farming business, what assumptions were you bringing into that early model Um was it about the square feet of a farm and how much a flower costs or was it how much life it'll give you and how much time it'll take? Like, how were you attempting to calculate uh, that the flower business made more sense than trying to be a cobbler or a, a shoemaker? Um, 
That is a great question because I have a lot of very clear answers for that now. But if I'm being honest, I don't know if I did at the moment. Um, And so I think that um, one of the most important things about being in business is, A, understanding what a good idea feels like, um, which has taken me a long time to learn, but I'm I'm very good at it now. And also... um, uh, being like the keeper of the dream, which sounds like woo woo, but what I mean is, is, is something that is equal parts like analytical and creative energy. Um, because once you have the idea, everyone is going to tell you that it sucks. Um, and no matter how good it yeah. is, and the, the, the thing like that, like um, the- the, the, uh, the thing that I've also seen is, or they'll tell you it's great until you ask them to pay for it, right? So it's like, oh, that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Cool. It costs 20 bucks. And then they're like, well, I, so, so you mean like right now you want me to pay? Like, uh, what about? And or, so, or, or they'll say it's a great idea. And hey, you should also try this or like, have you like try to yeah. give you advice on oh, how yeah, to you, make it better. And so it's it. either it, this is bad or it's yeah. great, but they won't pay. Or here's me being a consultant and I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and all of those are. Totally. We have a. We have a joke in our family called, you know what you should do. Um and that's, yeah. that's the joke. That's like, any sentence that begins, yeah. you know what you should do is like setting it up for joke. Because like art, art, and it's hilarious when someone does it with art because art is so, you know, you have to like kind of be an artist to make art. Um, uh, but with business too, any sort of, you know what you should do, it's just like, I have a, I have a huge, one of my, one of my things is the word should, I think is like my enemy. I think should just creates so much mm-hmm. uh, anxiety or shame or whatever. Like, should if should shows up in a sentence, nothing good happened in that sentence. I think there's an opportunity mm-hmm. to. I've seen a friend do this, right. but like to to use the word like I should have or you should do. Ugh. Least favorite word. Well, and it's tricky because because I think um, you know if you don't have experience with what we're describing like we could sound very arrogant right now because um if you are filtering other people's feedback then how do you know when you're wrong you know um and how do you know when your idea is not a good idea and so uh, you know it is it is tricky to be out all alone doing the thing um and at a certain point you do have to you know know when to fold them kind of thing but um that is something I'm <laughs> <that>. <laughs> so, I can't really speak to that, but but some somewhere theoretically there's a point where you should say yes. Yeah, back. yeah. Well, have there been any any points in your journey where um you thought you had a great idea and then didn't really work out or, or things that, that that had an unexpected result? Yes, for sure. I have had bad ideas. I actually um in some ways it's hard to it's hard to talk about this without giving away a whole lot of information about my business but um last year I tried some things that were maybe not great ideas and or they weren't great ideas because I didn't push them quite far enough so the outcome was was not 
quite what I had hoped for in certain certain flower flower projects that I was working on um, at the farm. And so um, 2020 has been such a strange year for me. Um, and I think I think a little bit of that explains why I reacted to COVID the way I did um, is because I was sort of, um, you know, uh, scalded from a project last year that didn't go quite how I had hoped. And um, I felt like I didn't have any time to waste on COVID nonsense or whatever. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I chalk up a lot of things in my business to tuition, um, because, you know, I'm someone who is not or wasn't at a certain point, a professional farmer. (laughs) Um, I think probably I am now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you have to, you have to just write shit off to tuition. If you don't, you're going to lose your mind. Um, so yes, I make all kinds of mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think that's part of being a business owner is trying different things and seeing what's like, you know, throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. And of course, yeah, of course, because for me, one of the most important things that is, or, or one of the most worrisome things that is happening in, um, small business, and creative industries right now is the like how to movement, um, which is hugely lucrative for produce for the people who are producing like mm-hmm. master classes mm-hmm. and web classes and things like that. But um, I think that there is um, an argument that promoting uh, homogenous business models is is very very, very bad. Um, and sort of this idea that you can like, you know, follow the, these steps and replicate what someone else has done in your own area or whatever, like, don't do it, you know, (laughs) um, uh, do your research, but like, um, you gotta learn things for yourself because if you don't try things that no one else is doing, or if you don't try things that other people have told you are bad ideas, um, you know, you're not going to figure out your own niche. You wind up with this. It's the same thing in, in ecology. If the genetic diversity yeah. is not there, everything dies. Um, so I feel very strongly that investing in the state. And is I love a good the idea. language that you used on chalking it up to tuition. I've, I've not heard anyone say it in that way. I think that's really just strong and that's going to stick with me. It's like, that's, that's education. That's the cost of learning the thing. Um, the other thing that's coming up for me is that the concept of, um, you know, and, and the idea that sometimes things don't work because of the timing. Right. And so, uh, there's this very like impactful thought or concept that was, uh, told me once, which is like a baby elephant will be, could be chained to like a spike in the ground and there's like a chain and the spike. And when the elephant's a baby, that spike can hold him, them. Uh, and so it knows that it can't go further away from the spike than the chain's length. And then the full grown elephant assumes that the chain to that same spike can mm-hmm. also hold it and never tries 
to break away. And so it's like, right, maybe right, it right. didn't work when you were, totally. you know, a four month old business and you had never actually made a sale or you hadn't made m- much in sales. If you tried it again, two years later or four years later, you know, don't write it off because it didn't work the first time. Also, I, I think that a lot of, a lot of love right. and a lot of business is timing. Right. Of course. And, and the fact that, um, even though we think of ourselves as like, you know, I am Carolina Flowers, this is our business, um, you know, the resources and the people involved and the infrastructure and the staff, I mean, it's constantly changing. And so, um, you know, just like the elephant is changing, um, a, a lot of my issues, past and present, have to do with like tweaking staffing levels and labor, labor ratios and things like that, that are that are very, I mean, very specific to to a point in time. So I agree with that completely. So thinking about if you had to to identify different milestones in your business, what would those be looking back? Hmm. Um, I don't know. That's a tricky question for me because I don't really see um, like it feels like one continuous thread that's still going somewhere else to me. Um, and I would say, um, you know, we doubled our growing space at the beginning of 2019. Um, and that was a big deal. Um, we also bought a brand new tractor last year, um, which was a big deal for the farm. Um, and the beginning of this year, um, we launched our, our uh, functional online sales platform. We've had different ones, but we um, launched the sort of model that we are working with now. Um, and that's been a huge deal. And boy, did we nail the timing on that one. Not, on purpose just it happened to be that we were set up to sell through our website direct to the consumer and fulfill with our own delivery services right when COVID hit um so that was very lucky um and um uh starting Zadies and um committing to keeping Zadies and sort of building out um building out a managerial staff is probably the thing that I'm most proud of. And we are still working on that, but, um, I mean, that, that is the, that is the milestone that will change our company forever. Um, so when, yeah, no, I mean, I think, I I think that's, I don't know when that, when when you think about, um, (laughs) when you think about your business, do you think about Zadie's and Carolina flowers as somehow, like separate things or do you see them as a continuation of the same thing somehow or another a um you know like a vertically integrated beauty business right you're in the business of growing beauty selling beauty delivering beauty and there's a platform now that allows you to you know execute commerce of beauty beautiful things like i'm making up i'm using beauty as a placeholder for whatever you might think, but is that how you're thinking of it right right now? Or are they one's a market and one's a flower shop? Nope. They very much um, piggyback off of each other. 
Um, and one of the really interesting things about building our companies this way is that um, the, the sharing information across the two product lines um, and looking at, you know, how do flowers and groceries align? How do they differ? Um, that stuff is really important. Um, and then just being able to invest and dial in um, all of the skills and um, systems that go along with um, uh, selling and distributing the way that we do. Um, they absolutely feed off of each other in, in really remarkable ways. Um, you know, and there's so, there's so much crossover. Um, I like the idea that we're in the beauty business um, because we talk about, uh, you know, one of the taglines for Zadies is that it's beautiful food um, uh, is how we sum it up. But of course we mean that more than just aesthetically. We mean that um, essentially in, in terms of how it's produced. Um, but yes, um, you know, it's a fresh perishable product that has, that has handling requirements that you have to understand and build systems around. Um, it, you know, gets distributed directly to the consumer. Um, we're working within the same market. So like, you know, insights about our market apply to both companies. And so, you know, um, well, there are some exceptions to that actually, but, um, uh, yeah, it's really good to have both. Um, and it allows us to bring in different types of minds in a way, if that makes sense. Um, the grocery business has this really systematic aspect um, because we're not producing those products ourselves. We're buying them in. That has been tremendously positive for Carolina flowers. Um, farming is the anti-system. It's, you know, working with nature is a great way to show you that systems are silly. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like you have to, you can't run a, run a business without that. Um, so, um, but trying to like Zadies is a really controlled environment in terms of, um, how much noise there is in the system. Uh, whereas Carolina flowers, there's like, there's so much noise, it's constant, but, but working with a system that's, that's clean and then trying to apply it to a dirtier sort of, uh, application, if that makes sense. Um, has been really good for my brain. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That was like no, really no, no. I understand. It's like the flowers are, are so <laughs> unpredictable. Whereas, you know, you know, you can get so many bags of crackers or like whatever it is because the producer says, "Yeah, I have that many, and I can send them to you." And so, yeah, it's it's more fixed right. for yeah. sure. And when there's chaos and noise in the system on the Zadies end, we're really good at dealing yeah. with it because we're like, you know, you can't get toilet paper. Like we just do this other thing instead. Um, uh, because we're used to, yeah. we're used yeah. to that. So, um, talk, so talk to us a little bit about, you know, you said you, you set up this online shop. Um, and I'm curious to learn more about what softwares and applications you use for, um, online store and inventory if you're if you're open to sharing yeah we started out on Squarespace that was just where our website was um, and so you know we were not prepared for the volume that we were going to wind up doing um, and so we switched sort of in midstream over to Shopify which is what we use now um, along with a bunch of other complementary software um, 
Uh, and I do all of our all of our web stuff myself, which that was a journey to arrive at that <laughs> conclusion that that was how that needed to be. And I may not always, but I think we will probably keep it all in house just um, because um, it's really important to be nimble sure. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you following along at home, I, I, I think that's a great transition. I think that Squarespace is typically the fastest, easiest, and most beautiful, fastest, easiest version of a website you can build. Um, gives you a ton of capacity. You could sell stuff. You could sell classes. You could just have it, a website that's a business card. But once you start doing volume on retail or like e-commerce, it seems like a transition to a Squarespace um, or WooCommerce or something even more complex um, it is all but necessary. And so Shopify is intuitive also. It's just not as necessarily beautiful out of the gate as a blog website from day one. Do you feel the same about that? Yeah. Although there's, there's, I mean, just spend money on stuff and it's (laughs) worth it. And Shopify, like, you know, buy all the premium stuff and like, you know, get a consultant and spend an hour on the phone and pay for that. And like, do all that stuff. It's, it pays off, especially compared with having things done by other people. Um, like, you know, having some, a web developer do it all for you. Um, you know, I think obviously I am from a certain time. Um, I qualify, I think as a digital native, um, meaning that I don't have a lot of like training in um computers but i am really good at it like one time i um i had a coding job for the biltmore which is hilarious because like i don't (laughs) i don't know anything about coding but i was like whatever i'm a millennial like i just fix this coding like it's not hard i don't know um so um yeah there's like a bunch of people who hate me (laughs) who are like professionals that hate me for saying this but um, I don't know. I, I think that um, for me, like I wasted a lot of money because I didn't trust myself to um, just really handle the whole website myself. Like I explored having someone else do it and, you know, $4,000 later, it's nothing to show for it. I changed course and took the project and I ended it myself. That's like a long and embarrassing story that no one wants to hear, but like, yeah, I mean, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes Uh, there are people that like you, you know, like I, like, okay, I can do this or I have a specific vision and so it's better for me to just handle it. And then there are other things that like, it's, I think it varies from person to person is what I'm trying to say is that there are other things that you might automatically just say like, I'm going to outsource this or like have someone else do it because I don't enjoy doing it. I don't know how to do it. I don't know. I don't have a vision for it. I just need to get it done. Right. Yeah. And and I think that I thought that I was doing that with this, um, but just the cost benefit of doing it myself and like the amount of time it takes sometimes. I don't think that um, I don't think that people are trying to nickel and dime you necessarily, but I think that there is a convention in um, sort of technology centric professions of billing really high and not really providing a lot of value because you don't think your client understands what's happening. And uh, they're like, you know, baby boomer who probably doesn't understand what's happening. And 
yeah, but just I don't know. Um, if you think that if you think that someone is is um, not taking your project seriously, you're probably <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a very fair statement. So, um, so you're on Shopify now, and um, you had made that transition just before COVID. I- I'm wondering just to time just so I have the timeline as clearly as possible. Did you already own the space that Zadies is in and this prison for like three years at this point? <laughs> so jail. first of all, it's a jail. <laughs> Crucial <laughs> difference. Um, prison yeah. is like Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> that's where you go to like, you, that's where you go to like do hard time. The jail, um, you know, our jail had real criminals and like terrible things happen in it, but a jail is pre-trial holding. So um you know, you may just go in there to kind of like sleep it off and like, you know, a Mayberry kind of way, or you may be like a serious, you know, creep. Um, uh, But yes, (laughs) our jail, that was another 2016 originating um, project. Um, And we bought it in 2016. Well, my husband, I mean, has been the driving force behind it. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we are so compatible is because it didn't occur to me to like ask any questions about why he was buying a jail. Like, I don't know. I was just like, okay, great, do that. Um, um, uh, but we, we don't own it alone. We own it with, um, we have three investors who own it with us and and they're great partners. They have various levels of involvement. Um, one of them is super involved and the other two are more like, you know, step in here and there. Um, but, uh, so we bought it at an auction from Madison County, um, and it was built in 1905 and continuously operated as a jail until 2012. So when it closed, it was the oldest operating jail in the state of North Carolina. Um, and boy, did it look (laughs) it (laughs) like the interior was redone in the forties and it had not changed a whole lot since then. Um, but it's a fascinating building. It's, um, it is, uh, kind of a time capsule. It has all these layers of history, um, in its bones even. So the walls are from 1905, but the, um, there's a steel and concrete structure, um, that was built inside of it in the forties when the United States got all zooped up on the military industrial <laughs> complex. And like, you know, everybody was doing steel rivets and stuff. Um, and like, there's like crazy pulleys and levers and handles and, um, you know, uh, and then, um, there's an addition from the seventies, which is total, totally different kind of architecture that we, um, that we renovated into this like modern wing of the building that'll have like, it'll be wrapped in Cortin steel and look really um, architecturally distinct. Um, and now our renovation is sort of the next layer. And my husband who is an artist um, has worked with the community to create thousands of custom bricks. Um, so they say whatever people wanted to write in them and um, they'll wrap the first floor of the addition in this patio area. So it's, got this sort of like many hands built this and worked on this and infused it with meaning. Um, so it's this like collaborative project, um, and this thread of history, um, the history of Appalachia really that, um, that, you know, we are feel fortunate to be stewards of, but 
we are just one of many chapters. Um, and Zadie's will go in that building, which a year ago was out of the question. I had said no. <laughs> like, we will be landlords and we will have great tenants. And that was my, that was my shtick wow. on that property. And, you know, nothing like a global yeah. pandemic to make you uh, eat your so way. Two questions. <laughs> And this season of the Making It in Nashville podcast is sponsored by Range Urgent Care. Range has a very special offer for all business owners and honestly anyone in Nashville. So please stick around to the end of this ad to learn more about that sponsorship. But first, we want to tell you why we love Range Urgent Care specifically for our small business. As a small business owner, it can be really expensive to maintain a traditional healthcare plan for you and your employees. And this is where Range Urgent Care, an Asheville-based clinic, can help really make a difference. With their business membership plan, you can give you and your employees the peace of mind and help protect them in their financial futures by giving them a place to go for medical care and avoid a potentially life-changing emergency room bill. The great thing is, is that an employee membership is just $45 a month per employee, and it includes unlimited urgent care visits that cost $0. These visits include services like x-rays, flu shots, and even prescriptions from Range's in-house pharmacy. The membership also includes free virtual visits for those more mild complaints such as colds, rashes, UTIs, so that your employees don't have to leave their home to get checked out by a medical professional, which is pretty important during the current pandemic. Their employer portal makes it easy to manage your employee roster and invoices from wherever you are, and their business memberships can scale to the size of your business. With two locations, one on Merriman Avenue in Asheville and the other in Black Mountain, they make it very convenient as an option for any Asheville local business. All right. So maybe you're not a business owner or perhaps a corporate membership is just a little bit outside of reach for you and your business today. Range can still help. They offer a wide variety of other memberships, including family and individual memberships. And you don't even need to be a member to visit Range Urgent Care as they are also in network with most major insurances and offer affordable and transparent flat rate visits. And now for the special offer, just for the listeners of the Making It a Nashville podcast, Range is offering a free first month of their annual membership. And that's any membership, whether it's business, professional, family, as Sarah said, all of them will get you your free first month. Uh, visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range to learn more about this very special offer and more about the subscription plans. Again, that's makingitinashville.com forward slash range for a free first month in any annual membership. You said a brick thing. Sarah and I went to it, the Ash Asheville Museum of Art. The Art Museum. Art Museum. Yeah. Was that? Was yeah. it like a staircase in the middle uh -huh. of one of the rooms? Is that? Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's your husband. Okay, I was thinking the same thing, and I wasn't, I wasn't sure either. Yeah. So amazing. If anyone's listening, if you went to the Asheville Art Museum, that was yeah. Yeah. Was it was Josh's like it was like a year art. about a year ago? Was it autumn of twenty nineteen? Cool. Mm -hmm. So Josh started making these bricks mostly in twenty seventeen. Um, I mean, he's been making bricks for a million years, like since he was in art school. Um, but he started making these bricks associated with this property in 2017. And he actually got a grant from the Wingate Foundation to um, to set up outside of the building for months, sort of a blur, um, and make these things with the community. 
Um, and the installation at the art museum was one of a yeah. couple that he's done um, as temporary installations using these bricks, but their permanent Amazing. home will be at our building. They're actually there now getting installed. He just put some in the walls for the first time that's, the other day. very cool. And I love just another example of how a small town becomes smaller, the more conversations that you have with people. Um, Cause that was like such <laughs> right. a, like, you know, I don't remember anything else about that room except for those stairs uh, and the bricks. Um, oh. well, yeah. And then the other thing is we've had a couple conversations about in some form or another over the, uh, the history of the podcast about buying a piece of real estate with the intention of letting it out or having it be a commercial ownership. And I just love with like broad strokes, what is it like to buy a building with investors or like, did you, is it a traditional mortgage? Did you start a business to buy the jail? Like loosely, how does somebody buy a jail? It's like you bought it at an auction. I don't understand anything about what just happened. We bought it at, uh, well, and there was no like gavel, like it wasn't that kind of, it's, a, it's an upset bid process. So it's the same way that you buy a foreclosure in most areas where you go to the courthouse and you like file your bid and then there's 10 days and someone else can come in and make a bid, but it's, it's there's no like, none of that. Okay. Yeah, that was good. Um, uh, yeah, there wasn't any of that, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, the funny thing about this story is that the building was newsworthy enough that it sort of came up in all these meetings at the newspaper while I was working there. Um, and my colleagues would be like, we got to figure out who's in this, like, who's making these bids, like what's happening. And I would just be like, not, like maybe we talk about something else, you know, because I was like trying to distract them from it. Cause I didn't want a bunch of people to know what was happening. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, more more stories from the <laughs> underbelly of the newsroom. Um, but uh, we own the building in an LLC. Um, it's a four-way partnership. Um, and, yeah, it's pretty straightforward um, there. I mean, it, you know, has its own bank account. And there's, like, funding rounds. And everybody chips in. And we are... Um, we are sort of the we, Josh, by we, I mean, Josh is the project manager. Um, it just sort of worked out that way. So he's kind of the on the ground partner. So um, we've also invested a lot of time in the building, um, which sort of plays into how our ownership of it is structured. Um, and we feel very um, fortunate to have partners who are open mm -hmm. to doing it that way um but uh yeah i mean for us um pete whitlock is our um our you know main business partner we brought our friend jody gukas to the table um and he brought his friend wesley to the table um but us and pete are kind of the main two and pete is a um pete owns a bunch of properties in marshall um and was originally our opponent in this bidding process. Um, we were trying to bid with a different, with a different backer, kind of. Um, and uh, it just seemed so queer to me at the time that 
Pete was going to want to partner with us instead, <laughs> which is crazy when you look back on it. But I was like, I don't know, let's just give beer and like team up. And that's what we did. Love it. Um, and, uh, and I think Josh remembers it a little bit differently. I think there was this moment where, where Josh felt like um, yeah. it might not work out in a different way but he has like a funny way of telling this story i'm not i'm not telling it right um but uh but i don't know for me it always seemed i mean i don't know maybe 2016 was just like the year of blind faith for me because i remember thinking very clearly like we're just gonna get a beer with this guy and his wife and then he's gonna want to be our business partner (laughs) like duh of course and that's i find that absolutely fascinating and also i love it as a strategy that oftentimes opponents are on the same team they just don't know it yet um, and I, I guess just in, in the, we're very, very early in buying like a regular house. And my understanding is that like, I had always thought you needed a ton of money to put down for a regular house. And it turns out that you could do single digit percentages down. But my understanding yeah. is for, when you oh, buy yeah. through an LLC, you, you have to put 20% down or, or more is that and it's like a much shorter mortgage. Is this true? Is this a misunderstanding loosely? Um, and you, I, I don't, I don't know yeah. as much about that. I think that that's correct. Um, we tried to buy um, an investment property at one point that we were really glad we didn't buy. Um, uh, it was a house. Um, and uh, I, I, I recall that being correct, but um we, our partnership actually paid cash for the building because it was only $90,000. Um, when we look at, when we look yeah. at these real estate websites, we're like, and I look at, you know, it's previous transactions, 2005, 2011, 2014. Some of the numbers are so low that it makes my like head spin because the numbers now aren't low. <laughs> so 90,000, ha. Huh. Yeah. And there's still, I mean, that was good for the time, but it is it yeah. was a jail in there. Had work to do. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, the first thing we did was rip out all the electrical and plumbing because there was no way we were going to save any of that. There was mold. There was like paint, like like decades of paint that just had to be scraped and like blasted and with water and sand and acid and like. It's been four and a half years for a <laughs> yeah. reason, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so 90000 uh seems like a steal, but also it would be jail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And is there, is there a sort of projected um, launch date or opening date of the jail space? They are putting... They are putting mud on sheetrock right now. What does that mean? In there. So... Closer. We are on the home stretch. Um, we are really, 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 really close. Um, and we are saying early 2021 for whatever that means, um, because who knows at this point. But um, yeah, we were very well, close. exciting. Yeah. Okay. So I want to go back. We, we talked a little bit about um, Carolina Flowers and, of course, the jail, but Zadie's Market. Mm-hmm. Um, you said that you came up with this idea or you felt like you came up with this idea in 36 hours. Like talk to us a little bit about how, how you got started here, how you came up, how and why you came up with the idea and, and what's going on at 80s. 
Yeah, I mean, well, take yourself back to March and just recall what a mind trip it was every single day in March was like a million years. Um, because the story doesn't make as much sense if you don't kind of put yourself back in that headspace of like, were people going to be dying yeah. in the yeah. street? Like, I don't know. We didn't know. We really, remember, we really did not know what was going to happen. Um, and, uh, you know, we knew that businesses were about to have to close. Um, you know, we watched this wave coming out of New York and across the country from California and just waiting for the shoe to drop here in North Carolina. Um, and, and wondering whether it would apply to us or not, um, as a flower farm, we were in a super nebulous sort of, are we agriculture? Are we not? Like, it depends who you ask. And even, um, it felt very controversial and I, and I, and I, I understood immediately that, um, a, we could not close or we'd never reopen. We had too much invested in our spring crops. Um, we had planted extremely heavily and spring is a really, it's a very lucrative season, but it's also a very expensive season. And so we could not afford to lose those crops. Um, and B, um, I didn't want to. And, um, and, uh, and, and I knew that, um, barring some miracle where the state came out and said outright, you know, we're lumping floriculture in with the rest of agriculture, which basically did not happen in any other state that I was going to have to freaking plant my flag and stand behind it. And I had no idea how hard of a time people were going to give me for that because, you know, remember there was an element of like Mm. public shaming early on where if you tried to keep your business open and someone didn't think you should, they're going to talk about you on Facebook. And so, um, you know, I mean, I think that luckily we avoided most of that, but there were whispers of it. And I think that, um, um, in some ways, you know, there's two ways to tell this story. I mean, one is like we had the infrastructure in place to help our fellow farmers um, using our website and our delivery logistics systems um, so that when they lost their um, restaurant clients, we were able to step in and um, and uh, offer our um, services. Um, and it's a combination and a wonderful friendship and something that I'm hugely passionate about. And the other way to tell the story is that um, you want a damn good argument for being an essential business, like get yeah. food. Um, and so uh, it, both of those things are true. Um, you know, it, it was sweet and it was <laughs> and it was uh, uh, calculated at the same time and that me in a nutshell, I guess. I don't know. Sweet and also very savvy. Uh, <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, it really was, um, it was an answer to a series of questions about how we could use the resources that we had in an environment that was um, going to be very um, unpredictable. And so, you know, I sort of sat down on Saturday and said, you know, this is what we have. How can we use it? And I woke up on Monday morning and said, all right, grocery store, you know. And then I think we had maybe two days. We were two days ahead of um, the shelter in place order or something like that. Were were you operating Um, Carolina Flowers out of the building that you're in now? Okay. 
Yeah, so we leased this building back in January or December or something. I, I don't know. Um, we had had another building previously, and it was much uh, uglier and dirtier and less air-conditioned um, than this one. This is a very nice building. It has hardwood floors, high ceilings, um, <laughs> uh, um, air-conditioning. Um and, uh, you know, it also had room for us to grow in the space. Um, and that was another factor in, in terms of making the decision was that, you know, we're not going to be doing weddings out of this space clearly. So what are we going to use it for? Um, uh, we wound up doing much, a much higher volume of flower sales than I think that I realized we were going to do. And had I known that, in retrospect, I might have chosen differently. Um, but, uh, you know, the other problem that my family had to solve with COVID was that all of our leads for leasing the jail, this building that we'd been working on for four years, um, and that my husband has really just, I mean, it's part of who he is now. Um, uh, you know, all those leads dried up. And so, um, that was not something that I was willing to let sort of royal and uncertainty while the world straightened itself out. Like that was a decision that needed to get made quickly for everyone's sake um, in our world family. So um, that certainly influenced the decision to create and keep Zadie's. Um, you know, on the first day of Zadie's, I was like, oh, this is a temporary thing. You know, <laughs> we help out our farmer friends. Like, you know, it's easy to add lettuce to the website, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's confusing from a branding perspective, but like, let's just roll with it. Because, I mean, this is probably worth pointing out that we were doing all the groceries through Carolina Flowers at that point. We hadn't, um, we didn't create the separate brand until a few weeks in and I sort of, I don't know, like, um, you know, you'll, you know, John Fleer yeah. and you talk mm-hmm. to him on your mm-hmm. podcast. He's sort of my mentor, but he's also just my friend and he has been since I was 23. So we, for some weird reason, we just like, we're like, think about the world the same way. And so, um, we were sort of in this little unit of like, COVID pivot, but also like crisis um, inspiration. Um, because when the world is upside down, if you want to like live in dreamland and like come up with weird ideas that no one can tell you no, like it's, I don't know, that's like good for the creative entrepreneurial brain in a way. Yeah. I don't want to say I enjoyed it because it's excruciating, <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know no, I, I I think it, I think there's something there and I think um in, in talking with other business owners in the past one of the thing that one of the things that has come up um I don't want to say regularly but enough where we've noticed sort of this trend is there's there have been a lot of businesses that started during a recession or during a really hard time in that person's life and it's almost like because of these constraints or this um these sort of forces it forces you to to think creatively even when you're feeling stressed about it but it's because you have to right of course yeah and the other thing is that I've seen this before it's such a formative and pivotal time for me I mean the last living through the last recession at the age that I was definitely 
first of all, A, you get this like, I will never let this happen to me mm-hmm. mindset. And these people are idiots. Like, I'm never going to like, yeah, make these kinds of choices that people made to tank the global economy, which, you know, whether that's true or not, who knows. But yeah, but um, I think I also um, had a much clearer vision of what was about to happen than a lot of people did just because um, I was at such an impressionable point in my life and when that happened. And so um, I think that, you know, the connection between this in 2008 even though the the reasons are so different um understanding what economic uncertainty was going to mean um was important yeah yeah i know it it seems like you saw ahead around the bend so to speak because i think a lot of businesses you know they may they might have pivoted they might have started offering groceries or or doing things differently and then they were saying to themselves well, this is only temporary. Everything's going to go back to normal in a month or two. And they're kind of holding out on that. But it seems like in many ways you, you went into it and then you're like, Oh no, this is the real thing. I'm going to make this its own brand. And here we are months later and, and you have sort of this whole concept. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's easy sure. to say that having been right, sure. I could have overreacted and sure. we, we could, you know, be looking back on this mm-hmm. so differently. Um, I don't know why I was right when yeah. I could have been wrong. Um, but, uh, and I wasn't yeah. right about everything. I mean, it, obviously it's been a hell of a ride and um, the, the, mm, we're experiencing a ton of like economic uncertainty in terms of, um, you know, what, predictions and modeling yeah. and all that stuff i mean everything looks like a freaking roller coaster <laughs> but so i don't that's know a, that, that is the trend in your way, I, I think I it's a perfect opportunity to, to transition towards the future and so modeling forecasting aspirational or uh however you want to think about the future what kind of things are coming up for you so this is date stamp for early october mid-October as we're recording this. It might be the end of the year by the time this episode comes out. But uh, as you think about the end of 2020 and early days of 2021, what things are top of mind? Clearly, it's opening a prison for Let and, and Zadie's a jail. jail. Dang. I, I tried to find the right word and I grabbed the wrong one. Uh, a, a jail. Um, will that be like Airbnb style or a proper like bed and breakfast hotel? Okay. Probably both. Um, I, I don't, we would prefer to book it all um, yeah. independently, but, uh, you know, people use Airbnb. So um, we'll see how it goes. So, but, but, but yeah, well, um, I'll turn it again, though. The the future, what do you see? What are you excited about? Um, we are trying to build all of these businesses going forward so that it doesn't matter what happens. Um, and, uh, the jail building specifically is designed so that, um, we could go back into the worst possible scenario, the most restrictive possible scenario, um, for shelter in place, which I don't think is going to happen, but, um, you know, we could do that and still be whole, 
um, and not lose a bunch of money. Um, so, you know, we've tried to build it so that, and, and buy the same coin, um, everything is peachy by next spring and people are throwing money at us. I mean, I don't know. Everybody's probably going to go to Europe and like not come here, but, um, uh, you know, we've tried to design it like so that whatever the future holds, we can hang. Um, and, and we've tried to, um, really invest in our staff and our resources and getting people involved who can, um, support the vision and, and also be um, surrogates for me and Josh. So that literally if someone gets COVID, like, um, you know, we can disappear for a few weeks and the thing keeps going. Um, so, so all that stuff, I mean, in some ways it's just good business anyway. Um, but to have like, uh, you know, an actual crisis kind of breathing smoke on you all the time, is a good way to set it up. Um yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think, know. I think that's great. <laughs> and I mean, practically yeah. speaking, that means uh, attempt to run profitably and throw money into a savings or checkings accounts for the business and not put yourself in a position where any one bad step is game over. Is that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that. Um, mm, Cash is important, but it's not the only important thing. I think it's probably less important than people think about when they're just starting out. I mean, I literally thought that when I quit my full-time job that I would be broke like next week, you know, like that is how it seemed in my head. Um, And it's not like that. Like, I don't know. There's, you learn tricks, but the thing that you cannot just magic up out of nowhere is um a really good team to help so um you know if you i think going forward like like i said weighing the balance between um money in the bank and and people who are well trained and invested and enjoying themselves and um you know believe in your mission like i think that that is probably more important um for us uh especially because we're in marshall i mean we can't just like like get another person (laughs) (laughs) like a job of a hat you know um we're actually we're hiring new farm managers right now and it is like i don't know if i mess that up like like that is worse than running out of money making a bad hire for an important position like a management a farm manager position Mm -hmm. like that's way worse than um whoops I overdrew the bank account <laughs> yeah yeah, <a> little time <laughs> like, is, yeah I'm not trying to be like blase about that stuff money is obviously what we use to keep the machine running but that's yeah. a great point yeah I I do too um this is a totally random question but it's one that I've had on my mind oh, good, when I went to the I shop so on Saturday you had a lot of puzzles in the front of the shop and I kind of uh-huh. geeked out about it because I love jigsaw puzzles Tony knows I'm like a kind of obsessed uh-huh. what's up I mean, what's uh-huh. up with the puzzles are you just like a puzzle fan or is there some sort of story behind <laughs> why you have so many jigsaw puzzles in a flower market shop Do you I don't I have no idea I'm, I'm like very excited to hear this. <laughs> well, um, 
puzzles uh, are they're, they're not perishable. They ship very well. Um, they are um, kind of like a single use product in that like, you know, you can't do the same one over and over again. Um, so if you theoretically were to build up a brand and the customer base for these things, um, it might, uh, you know, be possible to have really loyal customers who buy over and over and maybe they wouldn't all have to be in Asheville because the puzzles ship so well. And, um, you know, maybe you have this idea for like a really strong new brand that, um, that you might be able to launch <laughs> and, and um, maybe you already have a really good logo <laughs> that's been designed and maybe you already bought the domain name and oh, so wow. you're really just needing to stockpile inventory. Sarah, um, you sleuth. I had no idea. Really, I, I, had, I had no idea. I didn't mean to put you on the spot for that. I just literally, I'm a fellow puzzle lover. That I, I told Tony, I'm like, she has these meta puzzles that I was geeking out about, which is the meta puzzle is, is a puzzle of, it's a puzzle of a picture of someone doing a puzzle, right? That's what, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good one. yeah. Um, no, but actually, uh, we are going to launch a new brand this year because there's not um, enough going on. I got it. I get you. Side hustle. It's fine. Um, once you get really good at websites, like what's the difference between two and six? I don't <laughs> that's know. a great point. Uh, four. Uh, but but no we are gonna i am gonna do it again because fuck it i don't know sorry it's the radio um uh but also um i really like ideation and that's probably what will destroy me um in the end is that i really like like the first part of making a business um uh but um that's great uh, I, I want to see what happens if I don't tie myself to a, a perishable yeah. product that has to be hand delivered. I, so. I'm very excited about it. Um, we, I, we will follow up <laughs> offline. I think that this is, uh, I think that you're onto something. I, when I think about businesses, the type of business that I always find most fascinated, fascinating, isn't exactly what you're pointing to, but it's the razors business. It's, it's sell a handle, continually sell blades. Like that is a great business. You get one product that's like yeah, a core, right. and then there's a subscription renewing, constantly consumed version. Um, and you can, there's so many different versions of that type of business model, but razor blades are um, probably the, the case study. So excited for you there. I think it's time for a, a real quick speed round, Sarah. <laughs> Yeah, we're moving into our last little um, bit of the podcast, and we're going to ask you just a few questions that are meant to be more quick and um, not super speedy, but not um, overly thought out either. So I will kick us off. In your opinion, what is the most underrated flower? Mm, Marigold. Tony Google's marigold. (laughs) (laughs) They're like the ones that are like, I they're like in season right now, like the kind of or I mean, they have all different colors. I imagine like, they're, they're very, yellow. They're very fall flowers, right? Yeah. yeah, orange and yellow and gold. They grow all summer. They're really prolific. They smell incredible. They last forever. 
you can dry them and press them and make garlands and dye and tinctures and blah, blah, blah. And they're really easy for Love it. But it's the smell that does it for me. I really like the way they smell. Some nice. people hate cool. it. Great. Um, it, it, is there a brand or business that you're absolutely heart eyes about right now and follow and think is cool? Um, Hmm. That's a great question, actually. It's a hard question. Um, my friend Natalie in San Diego has a flower shop called Native Poppy that I really look up to a lot. Um, if you look at what they're doing, it is somewhat similar to what we're doing, and that's not an accident. Um, I also really admire people who are doing... Um, like you know, scaling sustainability. I don't have a great example off the top of my head, but um, I really appreciate that new um thrust in business. Um, and I feel like I am squandering an opportunity to like have a great answer. Native poppy sounds um, great, and and you know. Yeah. Hashtag visit where <laughs> that's all I know for S- sustainability. She's our, <laughs> right, she's our exactly. nope. where, where point person for that. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, lots, lots and lots of them. I mean, I'm constantly like looking at what other people are doing. Um, you know, don't have to reinvent it's the best wheel. when we don't <laughs> throw your own thumbprint right. on the wheel, but don't reinvent it. Yeah. Right. I certainly did not make up the system that we are using. It's just sort of the future yeah. of mm-hmm. commerce. And I think most people are realizing faster than they might have without COVID. But um, I think it was coming anyway, the sort of like anything you want to buy, you can buy online. And, you know, every mom and pop shop has a Shopify store and all that yeah. stuff. Cool. Okay. That's where we're headed. Next question. This is a fill in the blank. Uh, the best thing about owning a business in the Asheville area, I will say, because you're in Marshall, um, is blank. Working nice. with other people. The hardest thing about work owning a business in the Asheville area is? Specific to Asheville, I think one of the hardest things about owning a business right now is that people are so polarized about every damn thing. Um, but that might just be the hardest <laughs> thing about life. Like, and also this idea that you might destroy your business by by like one wrong um, expression of opinion or whatever. Um, and the, the like tyranny of the internet and all that stuff is really hard. Um, I, I think maybe that the cost of living here is pretty high. Um, and that makes it harder for small businesses to offer really um, wages that aren't just uh, living wages, but that are comfortable professional wages. You know, there's this idea that um, there's not a lot of professional jobs in Asheville. And, um, I think that, uh, I think that that could be different if, um, 
we could figure out how to address the cost of living um, or pay people more or whatever. Like, I, I, th- I don't think it's like a, I don't think it's a talent and ideas problem. I think it's like a money problem. Um, I don't know. I believe in paying people more than I pay myself, probably. Uh, certainly by the hour, more than I pay myself. Um, and, and like having come from an industry where uh, highly trained and skilled professionals were extremely underpaid um, and where executives and ad people were, were literally taking money away from the talent that created the product. Um, you know, I never want to do that to anybody. Um, so better wages for everyone. <laughs> nice. And <laughs> yeah, heard. well, the, the, I guess, second to last question, um, you might have a similar answer for this, but if we had a magic wand or someone in our audience had a magical wand, uh, what one thing would you ask for right now? Mm, commuter rail. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I, I just one. recently rode a motorcycle up the old highway to Marshall and that like along the French broad drive is my favorite thing that I've done so far. I didn't know that that road led to Marshall. Um, we had always taken that. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous, but <laughs> it was, I was nervous. Um, yeah. but we had, Oh, o- only ever taken, I guess it's 26, like the proper highway to Marshall. What a beautiful mm-hmm. little windy riverside road. So commuter rail, mm-hmm. um, like the, the Hudson rail line out of Grand Central would be mm-hmm. gorgeous. Uh, here's to that. Or underground power lines too would actually be good. We have above ground power lines in Marshall and it's really ugly. So, I don't know, magic wand person. Some <laughs> Amazing. Um, and then the last, last, last is <laughs> if people who listen to this wanted to connect with you digitally, how would you ask them to do it? Where would you send them? <laughs> Get in touch with our mutual <laughs> friend, Joanna. Um, I'm actually... Um, don't? I don't know. No, I really, I do. Like I said, I love working with other people. I'm really hard to reach at the moment. Um, we have, we are just getting inundated, which is really good and flattering and amazing. And I love it. And it's what we want. Um, I am a super flake. Um, so if you want to reach me personally, uh, I do have an email address and sometimes <laughs> I check it. Um, and usually that's like when I'm doing something else with my hands and I can't possibly respond. So your um, transmissions will be not be responded to. I just sound like the biggest jerk. Go, go um, to Marshall and hunt head. Emily down yeah. physically look, is the look answer. Look for a jail. <laughs> She'll be nearby. I don't know. I might Joanna made me hide back here in the back for this interview. Um, uh, but anyway, my email is emily at carolinaflowers.com. And that is way better than Instagram DM. Please do not DM me on Instagram unless it is a hard eye. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Love the clear instructions. Yeah. When, when my mom um, begins to follow you, that's all you'll get. That's, that's all I want. Um, uh, we have a landline for the first time ever for the business, which is great. Um, and you can call it anytime and someone will answer and we have a voicemail and someone will check it. So, uh, yeah. Perfect. Cool. 
So we'll have links to all of the known internet locations, um, but don't expect correspondence directly from Emily. Not no, I really do. I really, I really do want to. I shouldn't joke. I mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to be realistic. Someone, someone will reply, but Um, not. Yeah, not not perfect. And now, I mean, I, I I love it. I think that that's absolutely true. I think. Um, they say that the the two types most successful people in the world are either the fastest to reply on email or will never reply on email. And I think that that is uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Well, I admire the fastest <laughs> type, and I would like to be that type. I recognize that I am not, and I'm sorry in advance. Need, need not <laughs> but- know thyself. I don't know. Getting into the more <laughs> flattering note. Yeah. Well, so uh, if. Yeah, if you're I not mean, following so well. uh, us on YouTube, there's an absolutely gorgeous uh, couple flowers behind Emily. What are, what are we looking at here? Let's see. These are some breakout dahlias that are hot pink for some reason. At the end of the season, things start to turn all kinds of crazy colors. Um, and these are Cassiole dahlias here beautiful um and then this is a deep cut this is maybe my one of my my favorites talk about underrated flowers this is actually a um variety of gladiola um called an abyssinian gladiola um so it's much smaller than your typical gladiola it's a lot more dainty um i think it's really elegant and unique um that's a good one easy to grow uh one was pink, one was like a cream white, and the other one was different looking and gorgeous. If you're not on the YouTube channel, head over there now. But that was a wonderful podcast episode. Thank you so much for being our guest. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, guys. Cool, cool. I appreciate it.